At this time now, um, let's have a word of prayer uh, before we get into our study this morning on holding up the banner. So, if you'll kneel with me, let's kneel together. Our Father in Heaven, we thank you so very, very much for your undying care and love for us, uh, that uh, you esteem us uh, in high regard. You sent uh, your Son Jesus to this earth to to save us. And so, Lord, we are so very, very thankful and uh, in awe uh, of uh, your character and your love for us. And we come together here on this Sabbath day to uh, praise your name and to obey the command uh, to remember the Sabbath day and to keep it holy. And Father, we pray for the Holy Spirit to help us do just that in, in what we think, uh, what we say, what we do on this holy day, that it will always bring glory to thee. And Father, I pray for the Holy Spirit to come into our hearts and our minds uh, as we study out of your inspired writings and in your words, we pray, Father, I ask that we may learn the truth. Uh, sometimes the truth is hard for us. And so pray for discernment and wisdom and a love for the truth. And help us to study to show ourselves to be approved, to be faithful uh, workers for Thee. I ask humbly, Lord, that You will forgive us our sins and where we have fallen. And I pray for grace, the strength to overcome our individual temptations, our tendencies, and that you will change our hearts, give us the desires to do thy will always. And Father, I lift up those on our prayer list, those who have made prayer requests today. I think of our dear brother and friend Rollin, has this injury below his right eye, which uh, is very strange. Uh, Lord, I pray that you will heal him uh, so that he can continue to be active in your work do the work of the church. Uh, Lord, I pray for those who are suffering uh, through these fires and calamities around uh, the world and in this country, in Colorado, and these families that have lost homes and people have lost their lives. Uh, may they come to, to know Thee, um, be drawn to Thee. I pray for those who, uh, in our church in Battle Creek, our sister Jerry, who's still up in the air about the, whether she's going to have a home to live in, and and there's a family issue there. I pray, Lord, that you'll be very near to her and that uh, it will be resolved and that she can be assured uh, of a home. Lord, I pray that you give me the words to speak this morning. They'd be your words uh, and not my own opinions. And may they be sound doctrinally and that people will be open to uh, to hear these words and to study them out. Thank you so much for Jesus and His life and death for us who are so unworthy and for His ministry in heaven for us. And may we aid Him in His work and finish this gospel, preach it to the world that He may come. I ask in Jesus' name. Friends, I think that it would be hard for us to uh, 
to disagree, I would think, uh, in that the the world that we now have, the world that we're living in, is prepared to accept the mark of the beast. And I believe that we must be praying, as Paul says, without ceasing to be able to stand for righteousness though the vast majority is going to forsake it. I mean, is it just me or have you also realized that evil is considered good today? And vice versa, good is now considered evil. The signs that our Savior spoke about in Matthew 24 and Luke 21 almost seem to be in the past to me, don't they, to you? Are you praying for the latter rain? Are you praying that you and your family will be prepared for what's coming upon us? I believe very shortly now. I've seen where this administration that runs our country now has U.S. soldiers on the border of Syria. And so, you know, there may be another war front. Time is coming. It's upon us. It's going to come swiftly, as the Lord says. Jesus said in Luke 21, verse 34, He said, And take heed to yourselves, lest at any time your hearts be overcharged with surfeiting and drunkenness and cares of this life, and so that day come upon you unawares. For as a snare shall it come on all them that dwell on the face of the whole earth, Watch ye therefore, Jesus is telling us, and pray always that ye may be accounted worthy to escape all these things that shall come to pass and to stand before the Son of Man. I was thinking about all the winds of doctrines and fanatical ideas that are wafting through our churches today and and what kept coming to my mind was how clever the devil is in using scriptures in such a way as to confuse the difference between truth and error. He can get us so confused that we will call truth error and error truth. And that's not a good thing, is it? As Isaiah 5 verse 20 says, Woe unto them! I don't want to hear the Lord say, Woe to me. He says, Woe unto them that call evil good and good evil, that put darkness for light and light for darkness, that put bitter for sweet and sweet for bitter. Now, truth in Christ is progressive. And if we do not keep up with the truth, that means we do not keep up with Christ, we fall into a, a, a confused state. And ultimately, we will have the woe of Isaiah 5.20 on our heads. All the while thinking, you see, that we'll be doing God's service. And this is right where we are today, beloved. There are many Christians, the vast majority, that believe and teach that evil is good and good is evil. Just how do you think the United States of America, once a Protestant beacon of Religious liberty to the world has gotten into the incredible cultural and political mess that it is in today. 
The big picture, my friends, is that people are prepared to receive the mark of Antichrist and not the seal of God. I think one of the things that aids in this and one of the greatest problems I run into when discussing you know, uh, error, biblical error with someone is that correct principles of, of Bible study are not used. And that makes it easier to call truth error and error truth. When our culture declares truth to be whatever the person perceives it to be, and I'll give you a little hint, go back to the, the dictionary, go back to Webster's 1828, and look at the definition of what truth was then, and look at what they define, Webster defines truth to be today, you'll notice a marked difference. So when our culture declares truth to be whatever the person perceives it to be, then we have Babylon, we have confusion everywhere. And one of the greatest problems we have as a people in my humble opinion, is very poor study principles. And this compounds the problems of you know, fanaticism, winds of doctrine, and we see, that we see in our midst, we see in our culture. Make no mistake, prophecy has said what this country is going to do. Well, I pray that none of us have aided in that. And this problem of study habits and principles can be clearly seen when one comes to understand the truth about who and what the church is. For there are many that are calling uh, the church this when it's that and calling it that when it's this. You know what I'm saying. Now we've covered quite a lot upon this subject of who the church is and today I'm going to bring things to your attention. I don't know, maybe shocking for some to hear. But we have the truth, beloved. And if we are to follow Jesus, we must accept it. We must progress with it. We do that as individuals. When you first come to know the Lord, you give your heart to Him, and He teaches you as you walk with Him. You're progressing with Him. It's called a walk, isn't it? It's not a standstill. It's a walk. It's a progression. So, Truth that we understand, when we understand it, and we walk with Jesus, He gives us more truth. So, truth is progressive. Truth in Christ is progressive. And so we want to, if we want to know the truth, we want to be with Jesus, and we walk with Jesus, we're going to progress with it. The Bible says that the light for God's people increases until the perfect day. Isn't that what it says? And the last generation will have more light than any previous generation. They're described as the 144,000. That's the symbol of God's last day people. Spiritual light is equivalent to truth. And when we receive light or truth, we have more responsibilities to live up to that light and to share that light with others. Would you agree with that? So not only do we have more light today, but we also have more responsibilities for that light that we have. Now having said that, I'd like to begin our study in Luke chapter 12. 
Now Jesus is talking about the time when probation is going to close and He's going to return to, to this world. He's speaking about this. We, we look at Luke 12, verse 47. <clears throat> and Jesus here, He says, And that servant which knew his Lord's will and prepared not himself, neither did according to his will, shall be beaten with many stripes. But he that knew not and did commit things worthy of stripes shall be beaten with few stripes. For unto whomsoever much is given, of him shall be much required. And to whom men have committed much, of him they shall they will ask the more. Now I want to ask you, what is Jesus teaching here? What is the principle here? Essentially, the more truth that I understand, the more responsibility I have to the Lord to obey that truth. You see, God measures a man's accountability by his knowledge of duty, including truth he might have known but did not avail himself of. And in this country especially, I bet you could do a survey in your own neighborhoods. You could just walk around door to door, knock on the door, and ask that person if they have a Bible in their home. You don't have to ask them if they'd study it or read it or do you have one? Do you possess one? <laughs> the overwhelming majority do. They have access to a Bible. You know. That's because of the invention of printing. Before printing was invented, the common people never had a Bible. They couldn't afford it. You had to be very wealthy to own a Bible in those times. There were scholars that went to libraries to study the Bible. Martin Luther didn't own a Bible. Did you know that? He didn't own one. Now, later on, he wound up writing one in his own German language. <laughs> But he went to the library to read the Bible. And I always found it interesting how God works. You know, the art of printing was invented just in time for the Protestant Reformation. And I don't believe that was an accident. As a result of printing in the Protestant Reformation, almost everybody in the world can have a Bible. And there are still a few places in the world where people are very, very poor, cannot afford to purchase a Bible. So Christians from Western countries, you know, like ours, uh, we send Bibles into countries where it's hard for people to get one. We get uh, requests quite often from different places in Africa for Bibles. And any kind of religious literature, really. But today, friends, all over the world, people have access to the Bible, especially through the Internet, before it gets closed down, because <laughs> it will someday. So let me ask you, do we have more and more responsibilities because of this than people who lived 600 years ago? Yes, we do. We have a lot more responsibility. What happens when we do not live up to that responsibility? We'll get bogged down in our walk with the Lord and eventually we'll start walking back the way we had come. And the devil will have us thinking all that time, most of us, 
that we're still walking with the Lord. But you see, we'll get to a point where we call good evil and evil good. Now we have learned from inspired words the characteristics of the church and no matter what else we might think, you know, it should be (laughs) or how much we may not want it to be so, carnally speaking, uh, it is what it is. It's the truth. God said it. And friends, we must come to a right understanding about where we personally are in our walk. Are we in the church of Christ? Or are we in the church of Antichrist thinking that we are in the church of Christ? That's the great deception, isn't it? We also learn in our studies that God's church is currently described as the church militant, meaning it has a work to do for the Lord in battle with the forces of evil. And in this condition, the church will have within its ranks tares, you know, known also as foolish virgins, Laodiceans, maybe goats, but it will not have open sinners. The church will be militant until their battle is over at the close of probation, thus becoming the church triumphant. We talked about this last time. Now we must be very honest with ourselves, friends, in looking at what the Bible declares the characteristics of the church to be. And using those characteristics to compare them to the characteristics of the religious organization that we belong to. If the religious organization or church, say, uh, we belong to is falling, unrepentantly so, in any of these characteristics that we found in inspired writings, well, friends, it's not the church of God. It really is that simple. <laughs> it really is that simple. And we have to be honest about it if we're to be commandment keepers. Let's not lie to ourselves and break the ninth commandment, friends. We wouldn't be commandment keepers then. And I'll tell you again, if your church or religious organization is at war with those who are commandment keepers, those who are holding up the banner, I'll get into that more in a minute, or fails any of these characteristics, then your church or religious organization is not a member of God's church. God is not the author of confusion, beloved. The devil is. And he'll trick you into calling evil good and good evil. Darkness, light, and light darkness or be completely indifferent to it all. Our only safeguard is the Word of God. And we must follow that Word, friends, no matter where it leads. The prophet said, take the Bible as it reads. Where he leads. Well, he is the Word. Yeah. For truth is progressive, see? And those who follow Jesus, like Josh is bringing up, Progress with Him, right? They'll follow the Lamb wherever He goes. Now some people say that there have been lots of true churches. <laughs> I've studied this for a long time. And some say this. There was the church in Abraham's time. There was the church in Moses' time. There was the church in Jesus' time. The Jewish church, of course. There was the church during the Dark Ages, the Waldensian church, the Protestant churches, there's the Seventh-day Adventist church. you got all these churches. Well, actually, friends, they're all organizations. <laughs> Some people think that there are lots of different churches, though, but that's not what the Bible says. In Ephesians 1, verses 22 and 23, Paul says very distinctly that Christ is the head of the church. It only has one head. 
There are some organizations in the scriptures that are described as having seven heads, but not the Church of Christ. It does not have two or three or four or seven heads. It only has one, and that's Jesus Christ. It is also stated that there that the church is his body. So how many bodies does Christ have? Ephesians 4 verse 4 says there is one body and one spirit. There are how many bodies? One. So how many true churches are there? One. (laughs) Now please don't get lulled into the sophistry of Satan concerning who the church is. We have studied what the Lord of God says. And I encourage you, trust God. Trust His Word. There's only been one church of God since the days of Adam and Eve, and there will always be one till the end of time. Whether you're talking about time or space, the answer is the same. There's only one body. The first three chapters of Ephesians says that His body is the fullness of Him who fills all in all, which is all creation. Let me share this with you. It's Upward Look, page 228. God had a church when Adam and Eve and Abel accepted and hailed with joy the good news that Jesus was their Redeemer. What? (laughs) Jesus wasn't even born yet, was He? But Adam and Eve and Abel accepted and hailed with joy the good news that Jesus was their Redeemer. These realized as fully then as we realize now the promise of the presence of God in their midst. Wherever Enoch found one or two who were willing to hear the message he had for them, Jesus joined with them in their worship of God. Isn't that interesting? In Enoch's day, there were some among the wicked inhabitants of earth who believed. The Lord never yet has left his faithful few without his presence, nor the world without a witness. Isn't that remarkable? She speaks of the churches being one throughout the whole period of earth's history, from the apostles' time through the dark ages to our time to the end. From our high calling, page 172, through the ages of moral darkness, through centuries of strife and persecution, the church of Christ has been as a city set on a hill. From age to age, through successive generations to the present time, The pure doctrines of the Bible have been unfolding within her borders. We found that to be one of the characteristics. The true church of God stands on a pillar of truth. There's just one church of God, friends. Now it immediately follows that if there is only one true church in all time and all space... If you or I would ever start a different church organization, distinct from the true one, that would be apostasy from the true church. Does that make sense? There's only one true church, and the questions for each of us are, am I a member of the true church? And is it organized for godly service, or does it need to be reorganized? You see, friends, speaking to my Adventist friends, Adventists did not start a new church in 1863, or in 1861, or in 1844. You see, the church has existed since the days of Adam and Eve. And it's been shaken over and over again and been reorganized over and over again. People have been shaken out, but there have always been some who have gone through. 
Were there some people who went through in Jesus' day? Yes. The twelve apostles came right out of the Jewish General Conference, which had created a new religious organization, you see. There were some people who endured the shaking and accepted the Messiah, and they stayed with the true church as they stayed with Jesus. Remember, truth is progressive. And some progress with the truth, and wherever Jesus is, remember, there is His church, for He is the head of the church. Did the same thing happen in the times of Martin Luther? Yes. Did the same thing happen in the days of Ellen White? Absolutely. Were there some people after the great disappointment in 1844 that held on to their faith, even though they were disappointed beyond measure, and could not understand how God could have allowed such a thing to happen to them? Were there some people who hung on through that great disappointment? Yes, there were. And they were not a new church. Now, they, they needed to be reorganized, but they were still members of the true church because Jesus was with them, you see. They are called in the Bible a remnant. Is a remnant something new? Not really. A remnant is not really something new. A remnant is something that goes back to the beginning, but it's just part of the original, isn't it? Now, we previously learned, previously learned that there is a dividing line. There's a dividing line, as Ellen White says. God draws a line. There's a dividing line in God's church. And there always has been in the organization. There always has been. Because in this world, since the devil rebelled in heaven and since Adam and Eve fell, we are in a situation where there are people who profess things that are not true. Is that a shock? (laughs) The devil and his angels profess things that are not true. And so do human beings. Thus, they are the devil's agents, aren't they? And if you're one of God's children, you'll never make a profession that is not true because then you're breaking the ninth commandment. And God's children do not ever make a profession that's not true. Not intentionally so. But the devil's children do. And the devil has been doing this for thousands of years. The devil brings his agents into God's church. You see, the tares are sown among the wheat, aren't they? And they make a profession of something that's not true. So now you have this group of people all together. Some of them are true. Some of them are not true. And you cannot tell for sure which is which because they all make the same profession. And this is the church militant, made up of the wheat of God, but also the tares, the foolish virgins, the Laodiceans, but not open sinners. However, God draws a dividing line. God draws a line. As I said last week, we're not to draw the line. We don't draw the line. God draws the line. See? Notice this. This is from a Signs of the Times article entitled The Test of Faith, June 30th, 1881. She says, God is honored not so much by the great number as by the character of those who serve Him. He appreciates moral worth. He draws the dividing line. Who does? God does. He draws the dividing line between those who bear His name by profession and those who whose character shows them to be His children. Those who have the fear of God will listen to His counsels and obey them. They will not be content with spurious theories, nor build upon false principles to secure the friendship of the world. Yet at the same time, 
They will cherish and exemplify those virtues that promote the happiness of the family, the church, and the community. Wonderful statement. So on one side of the dividing line, there are the people who make the profession, but their profession is not true. On the other side of the dividing line is the true church that holds up the banner of Christ. They are the people who make the profession too, but their profession is lived out in their life. Their character shows that they are God's children. They obey the Lord and thus they're commandment keepers, the Bible says. That's what it says in Revelation 14, 12, isn't it? Here's the patience of the saints. Here are they that keep the commandments of God and the faith of Jesus. And that's extremely important. And it's important for us to understand right now, especially... You know, some of you have heard about what's happening in the last several years in Central and South America and Africa, parts of Asia. People are being disfellowshipped from the professed Seventh-day Adventist Church all over Central and South America for standing up and proclaiming the three angels' messages, for holding up the banner. So should these people become frightened and say, "Oh no, I'm lost." Some people think so. Oh, I'm lost. I'm not in the church anymore. Is that what they should do? Is that what they should think? Are they out of the church? No. Do they love God and keep His commandments? Yes. Are they progressing with the truth? Yes. Are they proclaiming the present truth? Yes. Do they exhibit the characteristics of the true church? Yes then they are in the church of Christ. (laughs) Now, just because you love God and keep His commandments does not mean that you're not to be organized. And as you've heard me say before, I'll say it again, I'm saying that the organization is not the church. The organization itself. You know, our organization here, the Three Angels Sabbath Day Church, is not the church. We're organized, though, see? We're organized. We have a pastor, we have a church clerk, secretary, we have a treasurer. We are an organized church so that we can do the work of Christ. But our church organization is not the church itself. We are a visible reflection of Christ to the world, to our community. And I hope you can see the difference. Let's say if our church organization should apostatize, even if all the leaders should apostatize, the true church would still remain because Jesus there abides. Isn't that right? Isn't it true that an organization usually reflects the character traits of its leader, especially a religious organization? If your organization is a member of God's government, a member of the family of God, the members will reflect the character traits of its leader, and its leader is Jesus Christ. If your organization is not a member of God's government or God's family, the the members will still reflect the character traits of its leader, in this case, the Antichrist. Let's remember. The Bible tells us that Satan will appear as an angel of light. And many will be deceived because they don't follow the true light. 
That's the word of Jesus Christ. And so they won't be able to discern that deception of the devil. They'll call good evil and evil good. See? Exhibiting the character traits of their leader. And let me say this right now, based upon all the Bible says and the inspired writings of the prophet, though it grieves me tremendously to say it, still, the General Conference of Seventh-day Adventists is not currently a member of God's government. It hasn't been a member for a very long time. They've lowered the banner and trampled upon it. And friends, and I'm not proud to say that, but it is the truth according to all that we've studied, friends. There's no other conclusion that can be drawn that lines up with the Bible. And that's what I want to be lined up with, is the Bible. Now when I say that they've lowered the banner, what am I talking about? What is that banner that I'm speaking of? Well, let's go to Councils to Writers and Editors, page 102. She says, A banner has been placed in our hands upon which is inscribed, Here is the patience of the saints. Here are they that keep the commandments of God in the faith of Jesus. This is a distinct separating message, a message that is to give no uncertain sound. It is to lead the people away from the broken cisterns that contain no water to the fountain of living waters. Now she says, a banner has been placed in our hands. Who's our hands? God's people, right? And what's inscribed on that banner is Revelation 14.12. That's very clear. And she says it's a distinct separating message. Keeping the commandments. Having the faith of Jesus is a distinct separating message. She's speaking about the three angels' messages. And let me tell you something. As we study, the church of God does not war against those who hold up the banner. (laughs) Any religious organization that persecutes those who are keeping the commandments and have the faith of Jesus... Those that are holding up the banner is not the church of Christ, but it's the church of Antichrist. Signs of the Times article entitled Getting Ready for the Testing Time, April 22, 1889. Says the prophet, The dragon was wroth with the woman and went to make war with the remnant of her seed, which keep the commandments of God and have the testimony of Jesus Christ. Remember, God draws a line between those who profess and those who actually do. She's speaking about those who actually do, isn't she not? We can see, she says, from this scripture that it is not the true church of God that makes war with those who keep the commandments of God and have the testimony of Jesus Christ. Any religious organization or religious group that makes war with those who keep the commandments of God and have the faith of Jesus is not the true church. In fact, you can even call that religious organization spiritual Babylon because it is spiritual Babylon that wars with the true church. Remember, there are only two churches and they are in conflict. We read that in Genesis 3.15. God puts enmity between the two. Now, 
for my Adventist friends out there, I know all about the 1893 Stanton quotes by Ellen White, not to call the church Babylon, and I haven't done that, nor will I ever do that. The true church is never Babylon, for Babylon wars against the true church. <laughs> Babylon consists of fallen churches, and they will war against the true church. And I want you to remember this definition about spiritual Babylon. It's found in the Great Controversy, page 382. The message of Revelation 14 announcing the fall of Babylon must apply to religious bodies that were once pure and have become corrupt. So friends, let's think about that for a minute. Let me say it again. The message of Revelation 14 announcing the fall of Babylon must apply to religious bodies that were once pure and have become corrupt. Great Controversy, page 382. Let me ask you, how do you know that a religious body, let's say a church organization, is pure? How do you know? How do you know that a religious body is pure? Well, isn't that what we've been studying? When it is in line with all the character traits that we've studied in God's Word, we know that it is in a pure condition with God. It reflects the character traits of its leader, Jesus Christ. How do you know when a religious body is no longer pure? Now that's the question, isn't it? That's the question. And this is the question that many have trouble with and become very uncomfortable because it's really quite simple to see whether a religious body is pure or not based upon God's Word. But we usually don't like to admit that our religious organization is impure, do we? We answer the question, that question, I think, in much the same way that we reason away our sin. We come up with excuses, or we, we try to find a grand exception as to why our sin is a different kind of sin, you see, and God understands that, and so He doesn't hold it against us. I mean, after all, we are His chosen people, the apple of His eye, right? There becomes a grand exception in our case and for the religious body that we belong to. And we twist scriptures in, a, in an attempt to justify our impurity. I have people tell me that there is apostasy in their church, but their church is not in apostasy. Good grief, friends. Evil good and good evil comes to mind. <laughs> Any excuses made to reflect away direct conviction. Oh, there's apostasy in the church, but our church isn't in apostasy. Wow. Think about that. <laughs> so how do you know when a religious body is no longer pure? Well, in my experience, I mean, do we find some overlooked prophecy that lays out the exact date of its fall? Usually not. Do we happen upon a scripture that says, the such and such religious organization is now corrupt? Hardly. Well, how do we know? Friends, God has given us His Holy Bible. And He's in that Bible, He's given a definition of His people and how they are to be organized. And it is by this word that we will know if and when a religious body that once reflected His traits no longer does so and has become corrupt. 
And friends, it really is just that simple. It really is simple. You know, discerning it is actually the simple part. Except, accepting it is the hard part. And we're told that it's not the true church of God that makes war with those who keep the commandments of God and have the testimony of Jesus Christ. And the Bible declares this. Declares it. We've seen it. Genesis 3.15. We've seen it in Revelation 12. The end time prophet declares it over and over to be true as well. We just read that. One statement. There are many, many, many statements. Like statements. Another way to heaven. Another way to God's kingdom. Exactly. And so we, we've seen testimony from God's word and from his, his prophet. It makes it abundantly clear. I mean, and most people agree with this. Protestants do. They jump up and down on this. That the Catholic Church is fallen. <laughs> All right? The professed Protestant churches, well, the three angels' message, they're fallen. But even the General Conference of Seventh-day Adventists, friends, from this testimony, cannot possibly be members of God's church today or any part of it. Because they're making war against those who are trying to take the three angels' messages to all the world. Aren't the Catholic, isn't, isn't the Catholic church making war with those who are trying to give the three angels' messages? Well, absolutely. Are the Protestant churches? Absolutely. They've rejected those messages. Is the General Conference? Yes, they are. They're making war on these people all over the world. You know, in Central America, the General Conference is just fellowshipping faithful souls. In South America, they are just fellowshipping faithful souls. In Africa, South Pacific, they're doing it. Some entire conferences have been disfellowshipped for proclaiming the present truth as three angels' messages. In the United States, they're taking faithful church groups to court. They're doing similar things in Australia and in Europe and just about everywhere in the world where people are getting aggressive and saying that we need to get the three angels' messages to the world now. Beloved, we must hold up the banner now. Let me share this with you. Councils on Health, page 357. The third angel's message, embracing the messages of the first and second angels, is the message for this time. We are to raise aloft the banner on which is inscribed the commandments of God and the faith of Jesus. The world is soon to meet the great lawgiver over his broken law. This is not the time to put out of sight the great issues before us. God calls upon his people to magnify the law and make it honorable. How do you magnify the law? You present it. Not just by words, but by life. Remember again, God draws a line. <laughs> See? And it isn't just the fact that they are at war with those who keep the commandments of God and are spreading the three angels' messages that disqualifies them as members of God's church, speaking of the General Conference, and all these other fallen churches as well. I mean, take a look at the characteristics we've learned about the true church. God's church and compare it to your church. Compare it to, I'll compare it to the church I came out of, 
the Seventh-day Adventist Church. Friends, you'll see what I'm talking about. They're lining up with the Church of Antichrist. They're a part of it. Notice this. Great Controversy, page 51. Romanists have persisted in bringing against Protestants the charge of heresy and willful separation from the true church, but these accusations apply rather to themselves. They are the ones who laid down the banner of Christ and departed from the faith which was once delivered unto the saints. Jude 3. I want to get into that in just for just a moment. Because there are characteristics of God's church and the Church of Antichrist found in this statement that we can learn from. History shows that Rome kept the church organization, didn't they? Rome had control of it. Rome kept the money. They're very wealthy, aren't they? The Roman church. Rome kept the buildings. They kept almost all the pastors, and yet they are the ones that willfully separated from the true church, the prophet says. And here is why they are the ones that separated from the true church. As she says, they laid down the banner of Christ. What is the banner of Christ? Well, we learned that, didn't we? The banner of Christ is the commandments of God and the faith of Jesus. Christ and all the, 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 the apostles taught Christians to keep the commandments of God through the faith of Jesus, by the power that Jesus gives you. That's what the apostolic church was all about. But the Romanists... They laid down that banner. They've taught that you cannot keep the commandments. And this doctrine of the devil has gone all over the world and most Christians believe it today. Do the best you can, but you're going to have to go on in sin. Then you have to go to confession and get your sins forgiven. And if you just keep your sins confessed, then you'll be saved. This is called, by many, the new theology though it's an old lie, I believe, and it's a very prevailing teaching in the Seventh-day Adventist Church today. Now, where in the Bible is that message found? It's not. You see, that's the gospel according to Antichrist, isn't it? The Bible teaches that not only must I confess my sins to receive pardon, but I must also overcome my sins through the grace of Christ. That's why in the book of Revelation especially, over and over again it's stated that the person that inherits eternal life will be the person that overcomes. Overcomes what? <laughs> you read Revelation 2 and Revelation 3, the messages to the seven churches. In every case, it's the one that overcomes who inherits eternal life. Friends, it's very plain. Take the Bible as it reads. So Rome did two things. Prophet says they separated from the true true church in two ways. First, they laid down the banner of Christ, and that is the commandments of God and the faith of Jesus. You know the belief that you can overcome sin. Second, she says they departed from the faith once delivered to the saints. Well, what is the faith that was once delivered to the saints? Well, friends, before Jesus left, he gave a charge to his apostles, didn't he? Matthew twenty-eight. Verse 19, Jesus told them to go into the entire world and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all things that I have commanded you. Teaching them what? 
to observe all things whatever I have commanded you. Do you notice in verse 20 that human teaching is shut out of the church of God? Jesus said you're to teach whatever I command you. And when you start to teach something that is different than what is found in the inspired writings, what's that called? That's called departing from the faith that was once delivered to the saints. That is why, by the way, we called ourselves historic Seventh-day Adventists. (laughs) Because we believed in teaching the truth that the Seventh-day Adventist pioneers taught from the Bible. Now, as you all know, we were threatened to be sued by the General Conference of Seventh-day Adventists for using that expression. So our churches got together and chose a new name. (laughs) The point is the true church does not make war against those that keep the commandments of God and have the testimony of Jesus Christ. The true church does not make war in the courts in Florida against uh, uh, Pastor Perez. It doesn't take... uh, 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 In California, go against a church... The little church in Hawaii. It doesn't go against small commandment-keeping churches around the country for trying to get the three angels' messages out to the world. The true church doesn't do that. That's Antichrist. Review and Herald, June 28, 1887. While professing to be children of God, they are to all intents and purposes children of the wicked one, for they act out His Spirit and do His will. Notice the character trait there. Who's their leader? Satan's their leader. Antichrist is their leader. They act out his spirit and do his will. It is mutual strife in the place of mutual love that if persisted uh, persisted in will prove their common ruin. Professed Christian churches are often ruined by their own unchristian course toward one another. (laughs) Exactly. So, it's not enough to make a profession if we profess to be the children of God while we are, as she says, to all intents and purposes, the children of the devil, we're not going to be in the church triumphant, friends. There comes a time when separation from apostasy becomes an absolute duty. Some people think that you need to stay with the religious organization no matter what happens in it. And while people are staying in that organization, they lose their souls and they lose the souls of their children. I mean, that happened in the Hebrew church. Thousands were destroyed in the destruction of Jerusalem because they misunderstood who and what the true church is. I watched a video, of, I can't remember the man's name, but he's a prominent leader in the Adventist Conference. And he was telling people to superglue themselves to the pews. Oh, yeah. That's, um... Yeah. Dr. Vyth. Yeah. No matter what happens, glue yourself to the pew. Yeah, that's what he said. See, he has a misunderstanding of who and what the church is. You know? Yeah, that happened to the Jews. They didn't progress with the truth of God, you see, and they perished because they accepted darkness rather than light, but they believed that they were accepting light. And that happened to the Roman church. We know that. History tells us. Millions and millions of people said, you know, we're going to stay here. Even though it's, it's in apostasy, we're going to stay here and let the Lord take out all the tares, the foolish virgins, and the Laodiceans, mistakenly thinking that these are open sinners. They ended up losing their souls. Friends, there comes a time, and I believe for Adventists it arrived some time ago, 
that you must remove yourself from the SDA church organization or you risk losing your eternal life. I mean, we talk about corporate responsibility. I probably will sometime in the coming week, but weeks ahead. But I want you to notice this. Signs of the Times article, November 8, 1899. Paul writes to the Romans, If it be possible, as much as lies in you, live peaceably with all men. But there is a point beyond which it is impossible to maintain union and harmony without the sacrifice of principle. Separation then becomes an absolute duty. Don't get this savior complex that a lot of people get and say, I'm going to stay in there. Look at me. I'm staying in. I'm fighting the battle from within. God says, come out of her, my people. There is a point beyond which, she says, it is impossible to maintain union and harmony without the sacrifice of principle. Friends, if you're, if you're compromising moral principle to stay with any group or any church, then you have an absolute duty to separate from that group. Like I said, it's about corporate responsibility. So the people that follow Jesus will not be the people that stay in compromised principle when there's an absolute duty to separate from apostasy. You'd be very hard-pressed, let me tell you this, my Adventist friends, you'd be very hard-pressed to find an honest Adventist tell you that the Adventist church is not in apostasy. I can't in good conscience send anyone to a conference church. I mean, I have nothing personal against the members of any church. Truth, principle, loves, that's what I care about. I cannot and, and I won't send anyone there because they reached a point, I believe, a long time ago where union and harmony is impossible without the sacrifice of principle. I cannot tell anyone to attend any conference church for I'd be putting his or her eternal life in danger by doing so. That's my belief. Friends, I'll tell you, you have to decide for yourself. Signs of the Times, March 12th, 1894. The Lord hath a controversy with His people, and although in His great mercy He bears along with them, yet if they persist in living in transgression of His law, they will not stand in the day of His rebuke. He has seen the backsliding and iniquity of his professed people. He has noted the unbelief, the hypocrisy, the pride, the selfishness, the disobedience to his law, and he will punish for these things. God cannot be in harmony with the people who will not obey his commandments. Now that seems like a very simple thing to understand, doesn't it? God cannot be in harmony with people who do not obey His commandments. Those who make a profession and say, I'm part of the church, and yet they still live in sin, refusing to hold up the banner. Now, they won't refuse by word, but it's by actions, by their life. Here's another one. Signs of the Times, October 4th, 1883. The professed church of Christ has wandered from her privilege, her duty, and her God. Like ancient Israel. Uh-oh. When I read those words, I kind of have an uh-oh that pops into my mind. Like ancient Israel, she has forsaken the covenant 
and joined herself in harmony with the world. Pride, luxury, and pleasure are invited into the sanctuary. There's that other hole you're talking about, Josh. And her holy places are defiled. Those who have pledged their allegiance to God enjoy the company and spirit of His avowed enemies. Now notice this. Their choice determines their character. Friends, you know, those that are in harmony with apostate powers prove that they are in enmity with God. Did you know that? That's something that we need to remember. If you're in harmony with those who break the law of God, if you give your hospitals to them, that's what the conference did in Denver and other places. Gave them to the Catholic Church. They're partners. If you send representatives and make agreements with them in regard to the Eucharist, that's what the conference did in South America. The Eucharist. Catholic Eucharist. That's an abomination. If you agree that you will not publish and distribute certain things and you oppose the worldwide distribution of the books like the Great Controversy, well, friends, according to inspiration, you are at enmity with God. You are in apostasy. You are fallen. And if you find that you're a member of such a church, then you have reached a point beyond, she says, which it is impossible to maintain union and harmony without the sacrifice of principle. Separation then becomes an absolute duty. An absolute duty. Don't be deceived in thinking, well, I must stay in. Now, there are certain situations where, let's say, a particular organization has been brought truth that it didn't know before, you see, but then the decision has to be made. If they accept that truth and stay, they stay in line with God, you know, you go back in history and uh, the Seventh-day Adventist Church at one time was talking to the Seventh-day Baptist Church. And they were close to joining. They were close to accepting the three angels' messages. I remember a question was asked of the prophet. Well, if they accept the three angels' message, then they, they become Seventh-day Adventists. They have to change their name. And she said, no, they don't. <laughs> they don't have to change their name. What's important is that they accept the present truth. People get hung up on the name. <laughs> well, the name's not sacred. I'll say that. A name matters because it's a description, but but it's not salvational. God's true church has His attributes. Isn't that true? His characteristics. It doesn't war against itself, but it wars against sin and error. It keeps the commandments of God and faith of Jesus. It not, not just professes to. It holds up the banner, friends. Now, of course, remember, there are terrors, foolish virgins, and it's going to be cleansed out. There will be the separating. That's in fact the three angels' messages is that separating message. We've been seeing separation for a while. You know, as a history buff, I was reading an account in the Civil War. In July 1863, there was a significant battle in that war that was fought. Sergeant William H. Carney, he was an officer of the newly formed Massachusetts 54th Regiment. And it was comprised entirely of African Americans. 
and he led his soldiers over the, the ramparts of Fort Wagner, where Union soldiers charged the Confederates. And as the soldiers fought, they gained strength from the flag. They gained strength from the stars and stripes of the American flag, the banner of the Union. It was Kearney's vow to never let this banner so much as touch the ground. And despite several gunshot wounds, he was able to keep his vow. Kearney held up the banner as a symbol that his regiment would never submit to the enemy. In fact, I came across something just uh, just yesterday, and I, I remembered this, and and I shared this, I think, with my family, you know, years before I was a, a Christian. This was in the early seventies. In fact, this is in nineteen seventy six. I wasn't a Christian, far from it. I was about thirteen years old, but uh, you know, I played all kinds of sports. I was a big Cubs fan, Chicago Cubs, and I remember. And this made headlines. This made news. It was, uh, I can't remember if it was July 4th. There was a a Cubs game between the Cubs and the L.A. Dodgers out in L.A. And during the game, these two guys come running out on the field and they had an American flag. And they laid the flag out on the ground and they began to pour lighter fluid on it. And they knelt down and, and the Cubs center fielder, his name was Rick Monday, He starts to run towards them. And as he recounts, he says, they lit the match, and the first match he said a wind blew the match out, and he said, there's never a wind in L.A. Stadium. He says, and so they get the second match, and he said, and I'm thinking, and I'm sprinting towards them, and he said, I can bowl them over. But he noticed the flag was just there. They didn't have a hold of it. And he said, as he gets there, he grabs that flag, and he runs off holding the flag. And the guys that were standing there, they grab the the can of lighter fluid and they throw it at him. (laughs) But he runs away and he has that flag and he holds that flag. And people have asked him, you know, why'd you do that? He said, you know, I had guys who fought for this country that died for this country, defending that flag. And it's the was the banner of our country. And as they escorted, an amazing thing, as they escorted these two guys off the field, a song starts to erupt in the crowd in different places. And eventually becomes one chorus of God Bless America. And what that man did, Rick Monday, I mean, he... He didn't do it to be a hero or looked at in any high esteem or whatever. He was angry that these guys were doing this. That's why why he reacted. But uh, they considered that, this is just kind of interesting, they considered that one of the greatest plays in baseball history. (laughs) It wasn't even a baseball play. He wanted to grab that banner. didn't want it to touch the ground. And beloved, I urge you to study what's been presented about who and what the church is. I encourage you strongly compare the characteristics that God has given to us in His inspired writings to that 
of your religious organization to determine whether you're in the true church or not? Is your church holding up the banner of Christ? Is it declaring by their life that they keep the commandments of God and the faith of Jesus? Or do they only profess to? You know, allowing open sin and error to remain within their ranks. Remember, there are only two churches, beloved. If you're unsure about your church and and you're one who holds up the banner, I'm going to tell you something. The answer will be made plain soon enough. (laughs) I just hope that it doesn't come too late. There will come a time when a choice must be made to progress with the truth or not. And not making a decision is actually what? Making a decision. There's no fence riding. In John 14, 6, Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh unto the Father but by me. Friends, I ask you, will you progress with the truth? Who is Jesus? Or will you hold up a different banner and war against Him in the person of His followers who exemplify His character traits? Time. Time is running out. Which banner will you hold up? Let's pray. Father in Heaven, we again thank You so much for this Holy Sabbath day. We thank You so much for Your Holy Word, for Your inspired writings that guide us and direct us and save us. Save us from ourselves. Save us from the deceptions of the devil. Father, we wish to to be in Your church. We want to be a member of Your family and remain so. We want to be, be able to stand when Jesus returns and be found a faithful, a faithful servant. Father, give us of Your Spirit Send the Holy Spirit to help us to be just that. Give us courage to stand and hold the banner. It takes courage. Give us courage to hold the banner up. We thank you, Lord, for hearing this. And we pray in Jesus' name.